0: The Parish as Oasis, an introduction to practical environmental care. This is the latest publication, a book by Kevin Hargadon and Kira Murphy, both of you from the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice. And this is a very readable, practical book. Some questions that I had on reading it, I'll start with you, Kevin. In your introduction, you refer to Pope Francis and that famous characterization now of the church as a field hospital. He says it's a place where the wounded are welcome. But you also put in your own, so we've gone from field hospital to oasis. Not the word that would first come to mind for people when you say the parish is an oasis. What were you thinking of there?
1: Immediately what we were thinking of is the Ethiopian Coptic Christianity uh, tradition of building churches surrounded by woodland areas that they cultivate with a very soft touch. A light hand what they do is they establish the church building and they build a small stone wall around it very similar to the stone walls we have in Connemara which keep out foraging animals and then very patiently and slowly over time they work with the rhythms of the seasons and with the particular ecosystem and what happens is a verdant feast of biodiversity springs up in that space and there's a network of 500 of these churches across northern Ethiopia and they're very striking when photographed from the air but they're very cooling when you experience them from the ground so you move from the industrial farms of Ethiopia or the encroaching Sahara into this quiet calm green space where all you hear is the buzz of insects and the song of birds. So the church spills over out of the building into the space around it, fulfilling a kind of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 vocation for human beings as, as tillers and cultivators. So everybody listening knows that the church in Ireland is not an oasis, that the primary words that we would use to describe it at the moment are all negative in terms of decline and so on. So this book isn't an attempt to bypass the reality of that Or to kind of paper over with an optimistic picture what has occurred in the last couple of decades. It's instead an attempt by us as relatively young people who want want to be associated with the church to articulate a vision for the future that takes the past seriously but builds in a different direction or, or cultivates in a different direction. So we go to one of the earliest forms of Christianity, the the Ethiopian Church, and we say there's no reason in the world why we can't turn our parishes in Ireland into literal oases, you know, in terms of uh, verdant biodiversity, but also uh, social oases in terms of places that are refuges against the hardship that people encounter in society.
0: So Kira, that practical literal translation, the parish as an oasis, how do you envisage that before we look at it as metaphorically an oasis?
2: Well, in Ireland, it, there's huge scope for the church in terms of caring for our common home. And they're already inbuilt communities. And as Laudato Si tells us that we are caring for a common home is not uh, an optional extra. It is an integral part of our spirituality and our faith. Laudato
0: Si being the Pope's encyclical famous now on the environment.
2: Yeah, so it was published about seven years ago and it's a call to everyone not just people of faith or faith-based communities it's a call to everyone to care for our common home and within that communities based around the church which is both the infrastructural building and the the community that hosts the surrounding community of the church it's a particular call for those communities to care for our common home we should be called to to love where we live and to want to make it better it's also recognition that as environmental degradation happens, people are impacted. It is the social environment and the the physical environment degrade together. They they cannot be separated. So climate change has huge impacts on people that may not be your neighbours and and friends. It's it's impacting your further community. So it's impacting the global south. It's impacting on people who are getting flooded. And caring for our common home is also caring for our neighbour and caring for God's creation. So have you any practical examples? Because that
0: can sound really good. But I'm in Sandymount or I'm in Ringsend or I'm wherever I am in my parish. How can I as a parish or the parish community there, do the kind of things? What do you want them to do? Like, is it set up gardens? Is it go around cleaning up? What is it?
1: The book is composed of 20 what we call experiments, which are practical things that people can do. Because I think one of the consequences of the complexity of the environmental crisis is that people are paralysed. They don't know what to do. So we give people a kind of buffet. We don't expect that you uh, sample every single meal but uh, the ones that seem attractive and fitting to your place, which is a combination of the people who are in your congregation and your context. So, for example, uh, one of the obvious steps that probably is universally applicable in Ireland is solar panels. Uh, It's very striking to Kira and I that as we travel around, there's practically no churches in Ireland that have yet embraced this technology, which has been one of the few signs of hope in the last 10 years in terms of technological adaptation to the climate crisis. And the government will offer you grants like, with significant Um, two and a half thousand euros uh, for every church who wants to pursue this. And that already then becomes an investment the moment it's turned on. It's a way to fight uh, Putin. It's a way to cut your costs. It's a way to reduce the uh, carbon footprint of the community. It's an absolute no-brainer. So we articulate 20 of them. Some of them are very easy. Some of them require more difficult uh, steps.
2: A few more examples, just uh, not the whole 20. I think it's... With the examples that are in it, it's really clear that caring for the common home and the actions are not just because we should. These actions are good in and of themselves. So one of my favourite examples is the Jesuit school in Galway, which is located down a residential road and it doesn't have good access in terms of cars. So students were arriving extremely stressed. It was quite dangerous. Cars were pulling in and they weren't able to pull back out. And it was all very unpleasant and stressful. And,
0: and idling cars filling up with carbon monoxide there.
2: And, and people arriving like genuinely very stressed and probably distressed kids and unsafe kind of going between cars. And then the people who lived on the road also had issues. They weren't able to open the windows because of the air quality. So the reason that they decided to pedestrianise that access to the school was not because of carbon emissions it was for the well-being of the children and the staff and the residents. I think it was a pilot from the green schools and it was uh, supported by the county council. They blocked off that access and parents could only drop kids off at the top of the road and they could walk down and from that it completely transformed the start and the end of the day. Kids would arrive early, they play soccer on the road the residents on the street would decorate their house at Halloween and Christmas. They'd, they'd stay outside and they'd welcome the kids and talk to the kids as they went into the school. So instead of having a chaotic, unpleasant, unhealthy environment, you've created a whole new community with completely different interactions. And it's really good for both the children and the parents and the teachers because it's easier to teach kids who are coming in relaxed and ready to learn. So that. That type of example is something that it's it's just good in and of itself. You don't need an additional external reason. It is just a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I am struck also when you said that, Kira, that example about Gardner Street Church, their garden, they've opened that up and they're working with a local primary school that the Jesuits now run. Tell me about that. I think they have a polytunnel there.
1: Yeah, Gardner Street Wall Garden is the largest wall garden in the north inner city and I mean, with some exceptions, it's been closed off for more than a century. And in recent years, as uh, the parish has taken over this primary school, which features a lot of kids from real socioeconomic disadvantage, they've opened up initially the garden as a playground space and then they built a polytunnel. Uh, That was a combination of people. Uh, JCFJ were involved, but it was driven entirely by the parish, really and the school then got on board in a wonderful way. And so you now have a situation where these kids who are from a, a one of the most ecologically deprived areas of Dublin, they don't even get tree cover, you know, in, in parts of, of Dublin 1. It's really pretty barren. They now come and they have hands-on, Science and nature classes in the in the church's polytunnel. Uh, they're, they're growing their own tomatoes and they're bringing them home to their parents. They're seeing their sunflowers blossom. Um, they're learning about the natural seasons, the cycles, and they're discovering you know the joy of getting your fingers dirty in the soil. So this is a really holistic approach to Catholic education and to creation care. And uh, just a wonderfully fertile context for the parish to do mission and to make friends and to, to build connections to the, uh, to the wider community. So it's, it's worked so tremendously there that there, there's already talk about making the polytunnel a permanent construction and really investing in it as a context for ministry. And I, I would imagine that the majority of parishes around the country, regardless of the denomination, have a similar potential. It would seem to me like youth ministry should absolutely take place in the garden.
0: It is an oasis then, really, isn't it, for the kids? This book then would be very help. It's striking me that every parish council... In Ireland, if they would get a copy of the book and use it to, to study because it's practical and yet it's also got a Christian theology underpinning it, but in a very clear and accessible way, would that be your hope?
1: Yeah, one of our hopes in writing the book was that we would uh, manage to talk about this in a serious and detailed manner without in the sense of impending doom panic and anxiety that so often marks these conversations. So you actually go through the whole book and we never mention the climate crisis or the biodiversity collapse at all until the very last chapter because as Kira has said these are good things to do that they're ways of loving God and loving your neighbor in and of themselves. What has happened and it's been encouraging already, we've heard of churches who have heard about the book and who have decided to organise book clubs, sometimes with the parish council, sometimes wider than that, with a view to either starting or restarting eco-action groups because the book is really hands-on and practical. And that's a a delight for us. And we're very happy to go and visit parishes if that would help. they want to think about this in detail, then the JCFJ is very happy to travel along that path with them.
0: I was just thinking that. You might be on the road for a while, the two of you. Kira, you made the point, you know, that this was a human issue, you know, not just religious or or any specific denomination as well, even though the Pope's Laudato Si' had great take up from people of all faiths and none. So would you see this as applicable also perhaps just in communities and community centres and places like that?
2: Yeah, so this book, there's nothing in it that excludes anyone, unless I suppose... Retrofitting a church would probably exclude people who don't have a church to retrofit. Everything in it can be applicable in some form or other, like churches are older buildings. A lot of communities might have to look at retrofitting older buildings and this information would also be useful for them. In it also, we would strongly encourage people to join up with groups that are already in existence. If you don't have a community around you that's able to contribute this, there will be someone in your community who is already doing something. And it's like inviting people to even work together in their community. And it's not necessarily already within the parish. And
0: also it strikes me, Kira, as intergenerational because young people, this is something they really do care about. And they could work with older people on this. It's a way of really making that division that we sometimes have with activities from the old people and the young people, really bringing them together.
2: Yeah, I I think when you have activities that are practical and that you have a tangible thing that you can do that is a a good thing working together is just so much easier like you have a common goal it takes a wide variety of skills to do work that needs to be done and in some cases you'll be able to find that across all of the generations so you we do need everyone to get their hands dirty in this so yeah
0: the issue of you didn't mention till the end the climate crisis I mean there is so much abroad at the moment that people think I don't know how to do right for doing wrong, you think you're doing the right thing. And then suddenly somebody comes along and says, I know, don't do that because that has a knock on effect here and so forth. How do you address that or get over that or make that hopeful in the book that we can do these things and they work?
1: One of our fundamental commitments in in all the work of the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice, not just in this book, is that even the small individual contributions that don't make a significant change statistically are hugely significant especially from a Christian perspective, if you decide that you're going to give up red meat one day a week, it's a small thing. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things. Actually, it's huge because that is a commitment within your soul to open yourself up to what Francis calls an ecological conversion. And if you imagine each one of those uh, little changes being a little node that lights up, what we anticipate happening is that when a bunch of individuals who have had these small steps which may not be perfect steps, but they're sincere steps, when they get together to form a community, then you have the potential for what we call system change, which is where a tipping point arrives and you end up making the societal alterations that move us back on track. And the only way that that can come about is by people just sincerely saying, I want to do something. So we say, do it then. You know, methane dissipation in the atmosphere is an incredibly complicated topic that you basically need to have a master's degree to speak on accurately. You don't need to understand methane dissipation. You do need to act out of the sincere recognition that we have made the world a bit of a wasteland. So the book is full of practical examples and we would encourage you to take them up and run with them. Educate yourself. One of the experiments is book clubs so that you would, in community, be able to pick out some of these details. But fundamentally, we don't think you need to become an environmental expert. You don't need to become uh, you know, a policy architect. You just need to follow your reason and say, this is a crisis and I'm going to contribute.
0: And then in our own setting... You work for the JCFJ, we're here in the Jesuit headquarters in Milltown Park. I know you've been doing some work, Kira, on the province almost as a noasis.
2: Yeah, so over the past year we've been developing a Caring for a Common Home policy and we've just recently started to implement it. So we have a working group and... We're only at the initial stages now, but we are looking at getting auditors in into some of the buildings within the Jesuit province to just see what is possible. how How can we practically reduce our emissions within these buildings? We're looking at how do we engage the entire province to understand. Some of these issues that are quite complicated, how does our behavior contribute to this problem? So as we progress, it'll gain momentum, and as people gain understanding as well, more and more things will happen. the province've already planted trees. we have already planted trees, yep, we have taken some like some really good initiatives, so we've planted trees, and there's work being done on Gardener Street building, which has been retrofitted, and that's actually also mentioned in the book. And even for Lent last year, we had a campaign where people were encouraged to reduce red meat or to reduce food waste during the season of Lent. So all of these campaigns and and communal actions all add up to a significant momentum in climate action and environmental action. Would you recommend this book, Kevin, for individuals as well?
1: Oh, yeah. It's a different book from the stuff that the JCFJ has recently been doing. It's not heavy, detailed work. What we try to do is make it as accessible as possible and we anticipate that read as a group or as an individual there'll be something in it for everybody who's interested either in Christianity in Ireland or environmentalism and ideally both.